Alright, we forgot to turn on the sound. Do you believe it? I had no idea we had to turn it on. Don't answer that. <laughs> okay, guys. Oh, we're live? Yeah, we're live. It's another week at Harsha at the Barber. That's right. Welcome back, everybody. Please smash that like button. Uh, yes. Hopefully, you find our uh, videos entertaining and informative. That's right. And uh, um, please support our our Yosef uh, uh, Lolian uh, and his music. Um, very much needed. Patreon is is somewhere over there. We're gonna you'll, put, I'm the, sure we're you'll put find the link it. in later. Uh, and his music. <laughs> oh, uh, whoops! That's what I sound like. You sound you sound much better in real life. I promise. I don't know. It's good. Or yeah, what's the problem? Okay. Um. <laughs> All this time, I thought I sounded like Mark Anthony. <laughs> <laughs> okay, let's do this. So, um, Parshas Vaera. That's right. I thought you were going to ask me what the Parsha is. What is the Parsha? Thanks. <laughs> okay. Sorry, yeah, that is that is your job. Um, so first of all, go and look at last year's Parsha show. There's some stuff we uh, we're not going to cover this week. That's covered then. Like I always say, we're in round two, so go check that out. Um, but beware, there is a mistake there where I mentioned that Moses Montefiore was a rabbi and a great rabbi. It's not exactly the case. Um, I did correct that a, a little bit later in the week, one of the later weeks, I think a week later or maybe two weeks later. The point is that just... He was filthy rich, wasn't he? He was, yeah, he was a pretty rich guy. And he, um, he but he became more religious at the end of his life. Like it says that he actually uh, traveled with a, with a shochet, with his own shochet, you know, wherever he went. Um, but let's just go through the Parsha in the summary. Let's go through quickly what this Parsha talks about. Mm -hmm. And then we will get into the juice. This is going to be a little bit of a, a shorter. This is a very short. Well, it's not so short, but I, I wasn't able to do too much research this week. But Hashem, a lot of happy things have been happening. It's actually my wife's birthday. And happy birthday! Are we going to sing the birthday song? You are very more than welcome to sing the birthday song. Okay, it looks like you're not encouraging me to know this. <laughs> Happy birthday to you. Happy birthday to you. I hope you sing better than that, Sarah. Happy birthday, dear okay. wifey. Okay, that's all we're going to do. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Don't judge him. He's a little tired. <laughs> all jokes aside... Um, let us talk about Parsha. Please, get into it. Okay, so the Parsha is called Va'era, which means that I appeared, right? Because saying I appeared to... Hashem is saying he appeared to Avram, mm -hmm. right? He appeared, saying that he was going to bring us out. So Hashem reveals himself to Moshe, mm -hmm. and he says the four expressions of redemption, right? Va'itzesi, Va'itzalti, Va'alti. What was the reason why we 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 we, we were uh, uh, this was put on uh, on Abraham? 
What the fact mean? that the, uh, he has to go for through 400 years of exile. Why was this put on him? Why was this decree put on him in the first place? I don't know why. Because you remember we talked, we spoke about how uh, uh, Hashem shows Abraham or uh, future generations of Jews, and he brings him to the Beit Hamikdash, and he says, "What happened to the Beit Hamikdash? Why is it in ruins?" And then he explains to him that it has to happen because I'm gonna take it out on 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 my uh, on my temple. It's mine, so therefore I could do whatever I want with it instead of taking it out on the people, on the Jewish so, people. Correct. Saying. Yes. Um, so the reasoning behind it, I heard it from my rabbi, the reason why we get this decree of 400 years of slavery and, and exile and all of that is because we didn't have enough trust. Should I say, Abraham didn't have enough trust. Because see, Hashem says to him, I'm going to make you as abundant as, as uh, the sand uh, uh, on the beach. And then he right. says, I'm going to make you as abundant uh, as stars in the sky. And then he says, where's the proof? Where's the proof of that? And then he says, oh, so because you said that, your descendants are going to have to go through exile. So, And then he shows them future generations of, of Jews and the temple and all of that. So the decree comes from the fact that he was a little mistrusting. Are you saying that if Avraham would have just accepted it and said... He would have said, yes, thank you so much. Yes, thank you for blessing me. This, this, and that was it. The fact that he asked him, where's the... How am I going to know? Like, I'm not going to be alive anymore. How am I going to know that you're going to make my descendants alive? Uh, so that mistrust basically caused it. Wow. Okay. Sorry, I had to... I had to uh, no, that's kind of harsh. And, yeah. and But yeah, Shem, you know... Tzadikim are just on a very... Uh, Higher level. Like Kichut like the hair of a... Mm -hmm. like, like, like a strand of hair. Um, now, so... Right, basically the four expressions of redemption, right? Ooh, what's the what's the fourth one? Did you write it down? Uh, no. Take <laughs> take out the so said, anyways, right? He, basically, he said he was going to take out the Eden of from from Mitzrayim and deliver them from the enslavement, and um. Acquire them as his own people at Harsinai, and he will bring them to Eretz Yisrael. That it should be uh, their eternal heritage. Remember, Eretz Yisrael is the eternal heritage of the Jewish people. Right, but pay attention to the wording. It says, "I took you out out of the bondage to make you my people." Right. To make you mine, to make you my people. Mm -hmm. basically for you to be free but my slaves how can you be a free slave how is that even possible yeah i'm sure you have the answer Ilya. i believe we spoke about it last year okay. that our freedom from bondage was was uh, the fact that we became enslaved to hashem to service of, of hashem because before that since the torah was not given we didn't have an obligation to do a lot of mitzvot mitzvot were not an obligation so once the Torah was given, then the obligation of following the Torah and living by it was, was an obligation. It was a must. Hmm. Before that, it was a choice. Now it's not much of a choice. You know who's the creator, what he did for us, and why he did it. For us to become enslaved to him. Now, enslaved is a very harsh word because we, the way we look at it, uh, the word 
slavery in such a harsh way. But in Judaism, slavery is not viewed as something that is harsh and, and, and uh, negative. It's viewed as something, uh, somebody who's, who wants to be enslaved to somebody. That means he wants to cling to them in every way possible. Yeah, I mean, so the way I understand it is that really a person can never be without a master. And spiritually, what that means is that either you're a slave to yourself, to your own desires, or you're, yes. or you're submitted, you're submitted to something higher. Mm -hmm. And so, a person who's not submitted to, and and you see it in, in this world, like if you're not submitted to something higher, then you will find yourself chasing all the wrong things, else. right? You're mm -hmm. serving something wrong, right? And, and you, you, that's why you could see how there are people who, who like they, they run after like I don't know now who's the hot star Taylor Swift right? People worship her, worship her like human beings need someone to worship. Now if you're not worshiping God, that's idol worship, and, and people worship money and people worship whatever it is. You run after so saying that ultimate freedom is being some. Is submission to the truth, the ultimate truth. And who is that? That's a chef. Everything else is just baloney. And so, you know, for someone to be enslaved to anything other than God, that's painful. That's subjugation. But to be submitted to Hashem, that's the ultimate freedom because it's truth. And I mean, everything you do is submitted and, 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 and in line aligned with the truth so then what's well, more free free than that you know what i'm saying i don't know what you're saying beautifully said thank you next so moisha and Arin come to Pari again and again to say let my people go and Pari says no we have the story of the stick turning into a a, a snake and then Paro's magicians also turn the sticks into snakes, but then Aaron's turns back into a stick and then swallows everything else as a stick. There's a little fact, that a uh, little uh, detail that I saw mm -hmm. in the little midrash that my nephew was reading. Apparently, the stick was made of sapphire. So, it depends. Moshe Rabbeinu's uh, staff mm, yeah. apparently was made of sapphire. Yeah, this is a, this is a thing. The question is if Aaron and Moshe's staff were the same staff. Uh -huh. um, it from the parsha it would seem that they were different because it says this Aaron's staff, Moshe's staff. Uh -huh. There is an opinion that says that really it was one, but it just is called after the person, named after the person who used it at the time. But uh, I think that they were different staffs. But yes, Moshe's staff was made out of sapphire and was very special. I never knew that. I never even heard of that. I always thought the staff was a stick. Because I remember there was a, a in, uh, incident where he comes and he puts it in the ground and everything turns into an oasis and everything starts boom, blooming from it. Like it. It turned into like a like a tree. Like everything started, you know, uh, sprouting from it. There was a there was a story about it. Like there, there was a drought or something like that during the desert, and then he puts it in the ground, and then it was it turned into a huge oasis. Where, I remember where? a story like that. There was a story like that. That's why I was always under the impression that it was a stick. A story with Moshe Rabbeinu? Whether it was with Aaron or Moshe Rabbeinu, I'm not sure. It was one of them. But I never heard of this detail. 
This is right. the first time in my life I really? hear that his his staff was made of sapphire. Yeah. I know the Luhot were made of sapphire before they broke, you know. Right. Before, but his staff, I had no idea. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's all. That's it. <laughs> I remember learning that as well. Um, yeah. But thank you for sharing that because I probably wouldn't every every it. year you're learning exactly the same parsha, but these details just keep on coming up. It's endless. It's absolutely endless. It changes a lot of things because his staff also had the first letter of every single. Um, um, uh, what's his name? Maka. Uh, right. Every one of the plagues. Right. Every one of the plagues. Yeah. If you go, if you actually go and look at last year's. Um, oh yeah, we spoke show, about that. We spoke right? about how actually we'll say that all the the entire letter, entire entire words were inscribed in it. And Moshe had to piece them together. Oh wow! To figure out what they were. Oh wow! Remember so that? it was just like the be uh, the chest plate. Well, I wouldn't say exactly, but I guess because the, the chest plate, what would it do? It would light up, and then you had to put it put, put the words together. Yeah, I like the, I like how you made that connection. Um, but yeah, anyway, but that's for whoever wants to go and check mm -hmm. that out, either on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, or on uh, on YouTube from last year. Um, so we digress. Please go on. Yeah. Anyway, so and then and then starts the plagues of the, the ten makos, right? And this week we have seven of the ten. And it goes through the... Which one was the first one? Blood. Right. Blood was always the first one, right? Yeah. So the other day we were reading and it said that uh, there was another one. Oh, uh, frogs came first. And I was like, how is that even possible? I remember, that I remember when he takes out the water from the Nile and he throws it on the, on the, uh, uh, on the ground and it turns into blood. That was supposed to be the first one. No, he did, first of all, he didn't throw the water on the ground. He put the staff over the... He hit the water with the staff. And the whole Nile River turned into blood. Yeah. But then the, in the little Midrash, the one I was reading with my nephew, it says that uh, Moshe Rabbeinu tells Aaron to take a bucket and takes, takes the water out of the, out of the Nile and, and just splashes on the ground and the water turns into blood. And then the Egyptians say, oh, this is trickery. We could do something similar. And they try to do something similar. And then Aaron says, wait a minute. You may do that to a bucket of water, but you can't do it to the river. And then he puts his staff in the river, and then the whole river turns into blood. That's interesting, because that would explain how they had water to turn into blood. Right. Although although there also are other explanations for how they have water to turn into blood, if all the water turns into blood. But anyway. Plus, there's also dialogue about them going back and forth. Oh, we could do this. Oh, we could do that. Oh, we could do this. We could do that. And then... They had no comeback, no no rebuttal when it happened with fleas. When because it came to lice, it was too. I small. mean, yeah, lice. They said Sorry, this yeah. Is the finger of Hashem has right. to be from Hashem. Yeah, yeah, that did happen. Um, but anyway, let's just mention the the uh, the seven plagues, plagues that are in this Russia, mm -hmm. and let's get into it. Blood, frogs, lice, uh, wild animals. Which is right, Damsardea uh, Kinim, Arov, and then there's Dever, which is pestilence. Pestilence. It kills all the animals, domestic animals, painful boils, shin. Barad was uh, hail, special for hail, that had fire and ice combined, and um, Barad, and then the last three already are in the next week's Parsha. And the entire time, Pyro's heart is hardened, 
And he says, no, I'm not going to let the Jewish people go. Right? No matter how much. So that means the Egyptians already had boils before. One of the plagues that happened to them before. Because, because what's the question? You remember we were learning that Batya, she comes out to the Nile to soothe her, her boils or whatever skin condition she had. Right. That's when she picks up Moshe Rabbeinu in, in, in the basket. But she would have never came out to the Nile to soothe herself. So she had some sort of a skin condition. It was leprosy, yeah. Oh, it was leprosy. It wasn't boils. Because yeah. the, the Pharaoh had it too. The Pharaoh had it, uh, the whole uh, royal household had it. At the time when they were killing off all the baby boys, mm -hmm. all the Jewish baby boys. So the whole house, the whole royal house had it. Had some sort of a skin condition. Right. Which is why when she picked up Moshe Rabbeinu, she healed right away. So she knew this, special was, uh, this baby was special. And then she brought him to the palace where he grew up in, in, uh, on Pharaoh's knees and he was playing and this and so the Pharaoh loved him also for that because he knew it was a special baby because he had a skin condition that was healing him in in, in the palace and and all of his. Uh, I never heard of this. So 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 that's what happened. She was trying to heal herself. The cold water in the Nile was soothing her boils or whatever she had. She had some sort of a skin condition. Mm. But she wasn't the only one. The whole royal palace had it. Mm -hmm. When she picked him up, she healed completely. She knew it was a special baby. So, so Moshe Rabbeinu healed the entire palace of Rabbeinu. the entire pal palace. Correct. I never heard this. Before. Which is why the Pharaoh knew he was a special baby. Which is why he was playing and he was raised on the Pharaoh's knees. And one day he was playing with the Pharaoh's crown and he put it on his head. Yeah. And then one of his advisors said, "Oh, this is the baby we were looking for that we wanted to kill." Was, and then they tested him. That was actually Bilam, by the way. It was Bilam, yes. It was Bilam. It was uh, Yetro. Well, that well, that happened earlier. Um, what you're mentioning is earlier, right? But it all connects afterwards, anyway. Yeah, yeah. Bilam wanted him, to and then him uh, dead. Uh, uh, what was the second one? The guy that stayed quiet. Say again. The guy, the the magician that stayed quiet. Yisrael, uh, Eov, Eov. No, I think it was it Eov. I think it could have been Eov. The guy that was tortured for for, for most of his life. Eov. It wasn't Job. Well, Job is the English way of saying Eo. Oh, okay. Yeah. <laughs> because I read, I have a whole book of Job. Oh my God, it's a torture reading it. Yeah, he had, a, he had a very hard life. It's a torture reading it. Forget about living through it. Yeah. Yeah, maybe I'll be, <laughs> maybe I'll be given a good... <laughs> And get swallowed up by a by a whale. How in the world did he live in that whale? What? He's the guy that gets swallowed up by a whale, no? No, that's Yonah. Yonah. That wasn't Yonah. I got it all. I, I got the most uh, mixed up now. You're but hold on, hold on. You're learning so much that now. So hold on, hold on. Eov was a magician. I don't know if he was a magician. He was an advisor. Right. But he was one of three magicians. And the reason why Yitro had to run away is because by going against uh, Bilam, uh, he basically disrespected him. So he knew that that same night he had to run away from Egypt. Otherwise, Bilam would have come after him and he would have killed him. He would have done something to kill him. Because he challenged him, basically. Yeah, no, yeah, well, Yitro ran away because he was afraid of Paro. No, he was afraid of Bilam. 
maybe because his magic was higher than his. He knew he was more of a magician. Well, we, I mean, we know that Yisro was also idol worshiper. I mean, he was a Kohen media, and he was the one who basically he he reject when Moshe came, you know, to the well where his daughters were getting water. It was because and, it, and they said and they came back to their father and they said, "Oh, there's an Egyptian man." Because why did they have to say that? Because he didn't understand how they got home so early because he had rejected all of the idol worship. He, he worshipped every type of... Right, he right. tried every single religion he, there was. Right, right. and then he rejected it, and so he was excommunicated, and the other... Neighboring uh, shepherds. The other shepherds would, would, would oppress them and make it hard for them. So the father asked them, Yisro asks his daughters, how did you come home so early? They explained there was a man who helped us, and you know, whatever it is. Um, but anyway, so we know that Yisro also was an idol worshiper, so it makes sense that maybe he also practiced sorcery. Was Eov also, you know, originally a sorcerer? Wow, maybe? but you see how everything is Do you see how Yitro in Egypt saved the kid who he thought was an Egyptian? The same kid comes and presents himself as an Egyptian. And saves them. No, he didn't. He didn't save. He didn't save anyone. He, this, this was when when Paro wanted to make the decree of uh, what, what should they do with the baby boys or something like that. Right. And so he's right. So Yisro was a. So the same benefactor. false Egyptian comes and and helps him out and his daughters to to, and yeah. then he becomes a leader in that land because he takes his daughter. There's a there's an opinion that says that he was a he was a in in uh, no uh, that was you're mixing up that was in I think the, in Kush where he became a king before he en ended up in Media and he became a king somewhere else yeah right so he was already leading he was already uh, ruling should I say yeah yeah he did become a ruler for a whole bunch of years somewhere else there's a lot of measures surrounding that yes. Yes, over here we go through the entire gamut of Jewish history, basically. <laughs> we talk about it all, huh? No. Um, it's pretty cool. Yeah, we're going to talk about some cool stuff. Um, okay, so the era. So, again, guys, go check out last, last year's show and then come back. Oh, shoot, yo. We don't Every, want to get canceled. Everything is good. Don't, don't worry about it. Okay, so the question is, why didn't, why wasn't it Moshe Rabbeinu's staff that turned into a snake? We know why he, his, the, he couldn't hit the water or the earth because they both helped him, right? The water, he was saved by the water in the basket, the right. earth, because the earth covered the Mitzri who he killed. So it also, you know, helped saved him. him. From being exposed as a as a as the killer of this myth, this Egyptian who tried to kill a Jew, and whatever, then they and the Jews tried to those two Jews tried to expose him, but that's a whole other story. Um, but how come his didn't turn into a his his staff didn't turn into a snake? Why was it Aaron's who had to turn into a snake? So one of the reasons that I heard from Rabbi Gordon. Is because, I mean, he brings it down. I forgot from who. He often brings down the Balaturim, but I don't think he said it was on this time. He says that 
um, it was because Ein Kateger Nasasaneger. Originally, Hashem had told him to throw this stick and for it to turn into a snake. Why? Because he had spoken not good about the Jewish people. So that wasn't something negative. Mm-hmm. But this time, turning the snake into the staff into a snake was a sign from God. It was showing how God is in charge of everything. So that was a positive thing. So it can't be that the same person who had a sign, for the same person a sign for something negative, would also turn into a sign for something positive. So therefore, it had to be separate. For Moshe, a snake meant he shouldn't have said what he said. And now Aaron had to be the one to turn a staff into a snake to mean something else, which is interesting. We're going to talk a little bit later about why Aaron was the one. It's actually a very beautiful reason. But the second reason over here why Aaron's why it was Aaron's and not Moshe's was because, and this is something very interesting that Maril brings us down, that once a miracle happens, um, it can't, it's a similar answer, but from a different perspective. Once a miracle happens, it can't, it can't happen twice. So Moshe already, already turned this, this stick into a snake, so it couldn't happen twice. And therefore it had to be, I don't know. Now, how, where do we see this from? We see this from the story of Elisha and Gehazi. Gehazi was the servant of um, was a servant of Elisha. And there's a story about a, a woman with the tsunamis. How Elisha had uh, there was a boy, and he had uh, he had died, and Elisha. If I remember the story correctly, you know, eventually... I think it was Eliyahu and Abi. No, Eliyahu and Abi was with Elisha. Right. But then Elisha also had a story with... Where he also brought somebody else back from the dead? I believe so. I believe so. But I don't want to... I don't. I, I didn't read the whole story this time. It was a long story, time ago. But basically, he gives his stick to Elisha. And he tells Elisha, go and... Um, Touch the child with the stick, so he should um, he should become uh, alive again. Now, meanwhile, Gehazi goes. He takes the stick, and on the way, he sees a dead dog, and he touches the dog, and the dog becomes alive again. And when he went to go ahead and revive the kid, it didn't work anymore. The reason was because the stick had already done its job. It was given a shlichut. It was given a certain thing. It was meant to revive the dead. And this, he used it on a dog instead of a person. This very silly person went ahead and did it on a dog instead. He figured he'll test them before <laughs> he used. There's a few really not nice things that Gehazi did that eventually earned him, I believe, eternal leprosy. He became a mitzvah for the rest of his life. I don't. Again, you have to go and study actual text, but I believe that if I remember correctly, that's what happened to him. So we see. From here, another, he, he brings a, a, a sign from here that once something was, you know, designated for a miracle, once it can't be done again, you know, the same thing. Now, again, uh, does that mean that, 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 that same person can never do the same miracle, right? Because right, Moshe can't turn a stick into a snake more than once if Hashem decides. Of course he could, but whatever it means, I guess... In general, miracles, the way miracles work, they're done through one person in general and not done again, the same exact miracle. 
I heard a lecture yeah. a couple of days ago about this incident about uh, staff turning into a snake and then snake uh, eating other snakes. Right. I heard an opinion. There was an opinion that the Egyptians saw something that they never seen before with that with the staff uh, with the snakes eating other snakes. It wasn't that they didn't see. They never seen a snake eat another snake. Right. Everybody has seen that. Right. Anybody you could ask had seen a snake eat another snake. It's normal in nature. I heard an opinion that the story goes that when right before the between they threw their staffs, that it turns into a snake, and then mm. it turns to a, a a stick, just a regular stick. And Aaron's uh, staff turned into a snake, but then it turned into a stick and engulfed other sticks. This is something that they never seen before. This is something to this day nobody has ever seen. It was a stick eating other sticks. Yeah, Rashi engulfing Rashi, other sticks. Yeah, Rashi. Rashi mentions he said that the whole the, he the, the stick itself swallowed, not just as a snake, but also just as a stick. Right. Um, yeah, we're gonna talk about that also um, later on. Something from the Rebbe, very very nice um, about what that symbolizes. Um, <coughs> sorry about that. Um, now, just going into this idea of of um, Elisha's staff and how it was able to revive the dead, and this is what uh, I put as the title for the video: is how actions can affect objects. A, a tzaddik, when it says that. Um, there's a, we, we see a story. There was a story about Rabbi Shimon ben Elazar. He had made a certain vow, made a certain promise, and he realized that he needs it to be nullified. Nullified. Now, to nullify a a, a, a a vow is not a simple thing. You need to get together a couple of rabbis, explain to them the situation, then get permission from them. Yeah. And all of them have to sign off. Then only you can. Yeah, it's a whole process. Right. So there's this. So, so, so there's a whole. There's a whole process, and it's not simple. And sometimes he can't do it. And in this particular case, all the rabbis couldn't figure out the way how. And then so, it happened to be that some old man. And I don't know the details of the story, but it ends up that this old man. Found a way for him to nullify it legitimately, according to halacha. And all the rabbis asked him, "How? How do you know this?" And he says, I have, I think he said Rabbi Mayer's staff. He had his staff. And the staff teaches me. It gives me knowledge. <laughs> now, it seems very strange, but what uh, the Sefer Ben Yehayada brings, he says that we see from here the incredible power of the object of a, of a holy person, of a tzaddik. Why? What, what's so special? He says that many... Many, many rabbis, many great rabbis and great tzaddikim and holy people carried staffs with them. And one of the functions of the staff, of a walking stick, right? There can be many, but one of them is that it's an object that they were able to focus on, they always had on hand, that allowed them to let go of the rest of the world, to tune out the rest of the world. So when they really wanted to think deeply into Torah, really meditate on something very spiritual and very holy, they would use this physical thing to focus on, so they would have something that they would be intensely focused on, 
And that way they would just strip themselves of the rest of the world. So they use this thing for intense holiness. Use their staff for intense holiness, which means that this, and they use it for Torah. So this actual object was imbued with holiness, and therefore this, it was so imbued with holiness, there's a term in, 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 halacha, in halacha where when something's so wet that it makes other things wet. Right? Mm -hmm. If a towel's kind of damp, you touch it, you don't get wet. But if it's really, really wet, it's wet enough that you just touch it and the other thing also gets wet. That's called tefeach amnas latfiach. He says this, this staff was so saturated with holiness that it was able to impart holiness to things around it. So this person, because however he had come by this staff, it actually gave him wisdom of Torah. And so he says that also over here, that um, that's why also Elisha, who was so holy, he was able, his staff was able to bring, was able to actually affect revival of the dead, which is an incredible spiritual power. Wow. And Elisha was a student of Eliyahu and Abed. Yes, Elisha was, I believe, I believe that it's Elisha who saw Eliyahu going up in the fiery chariot. I believe it was him. Right. So this is around the time of uh, Nadav. No, no, no. Neravam. Neravam was a king. Neravam was a king. I thought that the king... Idol worshiper. Well, he was a righteous king. And he gave a lot of money to Tzedakah and learning of Torah. The problem is, he had a wife. Uh, Jezebel. Yeah, you're thinking of Ahav. No, no, no. Yeah, yeah. Yeravam, Yeravam was something else. And I think Elio Anavi was in the time of Ahav. You might be right. Yeah, yeah. If I'm, if I'm, if I'm, I'm pretty sure that that's what happened. Achav wasn't wasn't as bad as his wife, and his wife was really, really right. Really, really and hard. there were two different types of uh, worshippers. There were Ashira worshippers. These are the two Avodah Right. And the second one was the sun the sun god. Um, it was a huge statue of a metal statue. It was burning from within, and they would put their kids on them, and they would burn up. What was the name of that? Yeah. Better not to say it. It starts with a mem. Yeah. Right. You know what I'm talking about. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So these were the two Avodah Zaras that were that were huge at that time. The people used to do. Sure, only Eliyahu came and he challenged all. Right, the right, right. That's when they had the whole fire and all of all of that happened. And then he said, "You have how many priests? You have bring them all out. Let's see if you could do it." They had over 850 priests uh, praying mm -hmm. for, for a fire. And they even tried to use trickery. Yeah, they had a guy on the inside, the right. And he got and he, he got bitten by a snake and he died there and he got burned. So in other words, he didn't even get a burial. So he didn't even get buried. It's an incredible story. So it's an incredible story on where they tried to trick you know, him and they got basically entrapped in their own, in their own trap. Yeah, I actually advise anybody who's hearing this, go ahead and check out the story with Elio and Navi. Um, amazing, amazing story. Yeah, it really is. And, and, and uh, you know, one of a really, really, actually really important, a really important um, idea that uh, you learn from there because, because Elio and Navi tells the people of Masai, oh, what's the word? Like stop, I think it's called Pesach of Asifim. To jump on both sides. 
stop jumping from one to the other. And some people are saying it's be- it, there's an idea that says it's better to choose one thing, even if it's the wrong thing, than it is to just be a cherry picker and just go from one to the other. What you serve God, you serve be be be, be established. Choose something in life and go for it. He was saying you you can't play both sides. You can't serve God and also serve idol worship. It doesn't work like that. You're, are you are you a person with principles? And it's like a, it's a very interesting idea. He says the worst thing is someone who doesn't have principles, not grounded. It doesn't have a direction that he's going in life. You know, and and it's a very powerful lesson. You, I mean, obviously, he's not telling people to go in the wrong way, but there, but there's something worse about someone who can't figure out his way in life, figure out what he's doing in life, and, and choose something real and, and and have real conviction. And real values, you know, it's worse to not have any values at all. Because, you know, a person who, who understands the idea that he needs to choose, eventually he's able to go and choose the right path. He could say, I was wrong. But if a person never does that, and he just lives like, yeah, you know, whatever, let's just, you know, let's let's go, uh, you know, let's let's go to Thailand and then party over there. And then let's go to, you know, and show, to show, uh, you know, when we want and, and pray it. You're like, no, 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 choose, choose, choose your way of life, you know. No anyway. offense to anybody that's vacationing in Thailand. I didn't say don't vacation in Thailand. <laughs> I had to put you on the spot there. <laughs> I'm, I'm, not, I'm not attacking anyone's vacation choices. I'm just saying. I got you there, man. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Be, be, be authentic. Be genuine. Yes, yes. And, uh, and when the Rebbe said expansion, he did not mean any any tunnels. <laughs> oh God, we had to go there. Yeah, he didn't mean that. By the way, by the way, <laughs> the anti-Semites have a field day on Twitter. It's That's why they, what they did was, oh my God, it was such a hill, Hashem. Oh my, God, how could they do that? It was so. Listen, I, I understand the reasoning, but no, this was ah. Let's yeah. See. Boys will be boys. People did some stupid stuff. It's not okay. And boys. now there are consequences. You said boys will be boys. They were not teenagers. Then some of these kids, some of these dudes that got arrested, got a bigger beard than me and you put together. I don't, I don't, I don't want to talk about this. It doesn't matter. At the end of the day, it's very simple. you know. But they do have a point. In the past 40 years, nothing has been done in that place. Yes, guess what? We're normal people. Religious Jews are normal people and we have our own internal problems. Wow, who knew? <laughs> oh my God. It's part of life. That's yeah. what we're supposed to strive to do, to fix them, yes, to fix ourselves. Exactly, exactly. Oh, yeah. Sorry I brought it up, man. I had to. No, it's fine. It's, it's actually, <laughs> it's once you brought it up, it's, it's, it's actually, it's, it's, it's alarming, but at the same time, we know that people there are people always looking for excuses to to make up ridiculous libel about Jews and the stuff that people are spreading are is, is absolutely insane. The fact that this is such a this beca- even became a news story is 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 I didn't even know that place had a mikvah. It was it's an old mikvah. It wasn't a mikvah. It was, was it operational or was it like abandoned? No, it was. Just, I don't know. Where, listen, it, it doesn't matter. The point is that uh, that. The 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 Jew haters are, are obsessed with us, and uh, I feel bad for them. They don't have a life of their own. If you put a thumbnail 
770 in the tunnels, you're gonna have a million <laughs> views, bro. I I promise you overnight a million views. Yeah, and they're gonna be like, what are you talking uh, about? <laughs> uh, what are we, we talking Aren't you supposed to be talking about the portion? <laughs> okay. Yeah, anyway, we digress. Sorry. <laughs> um, going back to this idea, so we see that 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 now on the flip side, you see the idea that an object that was used for a lot of improper things can also have an effect. One of the things that you, one of the ways to interpret why, um, why Rivka, when she told Yaakov to, uh, uh, Yaakov to go to Yitzchak to get the blessings, okay. and she put on Esav's clothes, one of the reasons for that is because, because it, since Esav was impure, because he done many impure things and he did this in, the, in them in these clothes. In order for Yaakov, because he was such a holy person, to be able to even say something that wasn't entirely true, he had to have an outside influence. And that outside influence was, the, was him wearing this clothing of Esau. Without the outside help of impurity from Esau's clothing, he wouldn't have been <laughs> able to bring himself to say anything that was misleading altogether. Mm -hmm. So we see the opposite where also if, if an object is used for impurity, it also can have an effect. And, and this, you know, when I read this today, I was actually, it made me think about all the things I do in my home. You know, whatever words I use or whatever things that, you know, if, I, if it's not 100% pure, and again, you know, we're not expected to be tzaddikim, but the point is the awareness allows you to remember, hey, everything I do has an effect on my surroundings. You know, that there's this idea of, um, I think it's been proven, actually. Uh, there's a book, I think the name is Amir Cohen, uh, whatever it is, he, he shows. Well, Amir Cohen is a genius, bro. Yeah, but he, he, so he shows how scientifically the words you say can have an effect on the things around you. He talks With about water, right, right, right. It's freezing, water. right, right. Molecules in water based on if someone says words like hate or love or so. Oh, here's a perfect example. Look at that plant. Um, oh, you can't see that plant. One second. We might be able to. Uh, let me, I just don't want to. Um, there's a plant in the corner right there. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So I'm not trying to brag. When I just started working here, that plant was less than half its size. And and a lot of its uh, leaves were already turning yellowish. Mm -hmm. I haven't done anything to it. All I did was just water it, read the halim next to it, and learn next to it. And every time I learn next to it, I learn loud. Mm. And every time I listen to music, I only listen to the Tikkun Klali. Wow. Look at the plant now. It's ten times bigger and prettier and more alive than it's ever been. That's incredible. Perfect example of all these things work. I love that. Yeah. All these things work. And when people come around and they ask me, oh, dude, well, how, what did you do to it? What are you doing? I'm like, honestly, absolutely nothing. I'm just, I just learn in front of it, read the hillim in front of it, and create a good environment. Yeah. Uh, okay, let's read some comments here. Um... Yeah, let's read some comments. But that's beautiful. 
Um, Thank you. That's awesome. Uh, I, I'll, we'll get back to that in a second. Uh, actually, no, we'll get to the questions in a second because I just want to finish this idea. Um, so, yeah, so he shows in, in this... Um, it's called evolution, Revolution. That book is called Revolution. Yeah, in, in English it's called Revolution. So he explains how... He shows how the molecules in water change based on the words that were said next to it, if they were ugly words or beautiful words. Um, he talks about how... Uh, I think... If, and I don't know if this is him or in general the idea that like, playing really hard music will affect plants a different way than classical music will. Um, it affects your, your a child's psyche the way a child falls well, asleep. How much more? So if something, everything we know has a soul. So if something like a plant can be affected by it, Michael Mollick is one. Of course, somebody who has a, a, a human soul, someone who has you know emotions and all these, of course, of course. They're going to be um, affected by this. Uh, well, they say that don't look at Rasha in his eyes. Don't look him in, a fi- in his face. Why? Right. Because you don't want to be affected by his negativity. Right. But so, at Tzaddik, it's, it's encouraged to look him in the eye, to look him in the face. Yeah, that's why, that's why it's so important to have images of holy people. Right. Um, you know, don't, don't, put, don't, put, uh, don't put a poster... Of Kobe Bryant on your wall, you know what I'm saying? <laughs> <laughs> now, by the way, I'm a big fan of Kobe Bryant just because of his work ethic. I think his work ethic is insane. But as far as the people that we look at all the time, we're looking at holy people. Um, and we don't even have to talk about LeBron James. No. <laughs> and the hairline. I'm just messing around. What? <laughs> um, no, yeah. But Sorry, that, it's an occupational hazard, man. I, I, you got to talk about the hairline. <laughs> if you want to have a good hairline, don't look at certain people. Yeah. <laughs> um, or just come to the real barbershop. They'll give you a good hairline. Oh, that's right. It's <laughs> good. Oh, yes, come here to get your haircuts from Ilya, best barber in town. Thank you, thank you, thank you. Um, no pictures, no pictures. <laughs> um, talk about pictures. So it's very important to have pictures of Sadiqim to, to be able to be able to look at. The, the you know the image of a tzaddik. Um yes anyway so you know what once we hit our fifth cycle I'm talking about doing this fifth cycle uh-huh. I'm gonna start taking pictures of you make portraits out of it and then start selling it online <laughs> have a picture of a tzaddik five cycles baby oh, God. your wife is gonna love this Every household, every household in Crown Heights is gonna have Yossi's picture. <laughs> oh my God, I love it! You have, have, have a better chance at selling them spoiled, uh, spoiled fish. Don't say that. Come on, man. I understand uh, modesty, but you're not supposed to put yourself down like that. Come on. Say something. <laughs> Okay. okay. <laughs> but you love you love my creativity, though, right? <laughs> I appreciate it. Okay, let's read some of the uh, some of the comments. So Yitzi, or my brother Mendy, is back. Um, Welcome back. The concept of penalizing people because of actions of ancestors is kind of hard to understand. Yeah, I agree. I agree. That is tough. Uh, some wait, 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 the concept of penalizing people for what? Basically, you were talking about earlier how Avraham Avinu, because of his questioning God, therefore we've gone through all this pain. 
Um, listen, uh, yeah, it is hard to understand. I, I think you're right. Um, no, I'm not saying that this is the the reason. It's one of the reasons, right? There's because a... whenever whenever Hashem does anything, he does, he doesn't need a reason. He has to have a combination of any of of things in order for him to make a final decision. Uh, one of the one of the th examples is I remember I was learning. I think it was Minchad Yehuda. He was saying that if a person did something bad or he's um, he's deserving of God forbid death. Hashem first sees if people around you deserve to live through this in order for Him to give you that punishment. Wow. So in, in other words, it's never one reason. It has to be a combination of things and then He makes His final decision. So, so it's never one right. reason. So which almost... is why, in, uh, sorry, in, 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 in Humash, whenever we have uh, explanation, this, this, and then we have comments that says, no, there's an opinion by this rabbi that says, it might have been this as well. And by this rabbi, it might have been that as well. So it's always, it's never one thing that leads to something that is a decision that is so big. Right, right. right. And that makes sense. I mean, because uh, number one, only, only you can only say that regarding Hashem, who, you know, past, present, future, all the same. But um, it, it, it sounds like you're saying that if, if it was only that, then probably all of this you know wouldn't have happened. It was a combination of all the things together where it all fit into this picture of right. you know, what we, what, you do, what Jewish, Jewish people have been through. And also there's an aspect which is absolutely not understandable at all, which is at the end of the day, God has a plan and, and it's above any reasoning. Um, 100%, of course. And there are certain things we cannot understand because we're still our, our spiritual body is still attached to our physical body right. there are certain things we start understanding better once we are detached from the physical body well, which is why the first two commandments were given to us by hashem himself yeah the soul is very limited by the body the yeah. body is very limited well yeah, well, well, yeah, soul, yeah, yeah, yeah right. the soul is limited by the body in terms of its understanding and to interact with godliness however what the soul has here that it has nowhere else is torah and mitzvah which is the essence right. of god which it can't even grasp as as a soul on its own, but because God enclosed, this is a very important idea in Chassidus, where because we're down here and Hashem put His essence into Torah and mitzvahs, all of a sudden we have an opportunity that no other creation has, and even souls in heaven don't have, which is to actually grasp godliness and to, you know, to 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 affect. That's that's what it says. Da malamala mimach in Perkei It says no. The, the simple reason, the simple explanation is that know what's above you. Damal, know what's above you. But there's a, one of the, I forgot who it is, maybe it's Rebbe Melech of Jensk, but I'm not sure. But he says, Da, no, Malamala, what happens above Mimach is from you. And everything that goes on in the higher realms is in your hands. You affect it. 100%. Which, you know, that goes back to the idea of, you know, why everything we do is so important and how we see everything we do affects all, all surroundings. But I loved what you, what you said about how that's very, you know, it's a very beautiful idea that a person, even if, let's say, he's deserving of a punishment, but if other people around him aren't deserving of, of suffering through what that punishment means for them, for example, death, you know, if he dies and it's going to hurt his family and they're not deserving of that, 
and Hashem will be patient, and Hashem, or or Hashem won't do it, and you know whatever Hashem figures out where everything can fit in. But that's very, you know, that's an, an incredible idea. Since we're on the subject, in case somebody didn't pick up on it, but there's a huge gem, there's a huge jewel in here that had revealed himself. Anybody that wants to prolong their life, the best way to do it is make other people who are doing big mitzvahs or who are learning all day dependent on you. Meaning, the more Torah learning people are dependent on you, the longer it will take for Hashem to take you out of this world. Because you're doing what, what his, his Torah tells you to do. And other people, other families, or other people who are Bahurim that are dependent on you and your tzedakah and, and your and, uh, um, uh, support, they need you there. You think Hashem will take you away from this world? You're right. basically twisting his arm. That's that's what it is. Right. That's the je- that's the jewel of, out of this whole conversation. Yeah, we gotta right. understand that we have to we have to have other people depend on us in order for us not to leave this world. I mean, right. I mean, and this is also an idea in general of you know when when Hashem gives wealth, there's two ways to look at it. it could be that Hashem gave you wealth, or or you could be like the the caretaker. Like God trusts you so much. That he says, you are, I know that I can entrust you with my money. So everything belongs to Hashem. I know you're going to do the right thing with it. And so when a person does the right thing with it, that is, you know, sort of, you know, God made the right choice. And God forbid if a person repeatedly does the wrong thing with money, God forbid that could be a reason for why perhaps maybe he doesn't deserve it anymore, which we don't wish that anybody should... You know, God forbid, go through hardship and lose their money, but use it for the right things. Hashem gives us money, so that Amen. we should do the, the right things with it. Tzedakah um, um, is not only, you know, or having people depend on you. It's not only money. It's not only monetary uh, dependency. That's very true. It could be other things as well. You could be somebody else's teacher, somebody that needs, uh, can't afford, you know, to go to a university or to learn how to read, and you're teaching them. For the rest of his life, he knows how to pray. He knows how to read. He knows yeah. how to do all these things. Now you you became a partner in his in, in his all his mitzvahs. Not only did you become a partner in his mitzvahs, but because you've shifted him towards becoming a better Jew, now his kids, his grandkids, that's all you. That's all your your roots. You're benefiting from all of this. This is your investment that keeps on paying for the rest of well, God, God knows how many generations. Yeah, I love that you're saying that. It's it's a. Uh, it's not a concept I created. It's a concept that Chabad lived by for generations. Yeah, but it's it's it, so. Here's the crazy thing. I remember my father. He told me. He always told me that there were some people that were against the idea of you know having a parade or certain aspects of Miftzayim of going out outreach because it was Bittul Torah. The idea of you know you're you're doing that and you're not learning Torah, which. Wasting time from learning Torah and, and is, is not a simple thing. But he said that, my father always told me, he said that it's wrong. And even Rabbi Moshe Feinstein had made a psak din. He said that it's according to halacha, just like you have to give at least 10% of your money to tzedakah, a person must give 10% of his time towards giving to another. Inspiring others to That's, push them towards the right direction. Meaning, meaning, if I take 100% of my time and I only give it to myself, even if I'm studying Torah, I owe, I am taking away, I owe God. And in this case, 
my fellow the Jews, world, 10% right. of my time. Right, 100%. And that was, you know, I, I love that you said, how you said it. That's inc incredible. Um, because at the end of the day, we're all on the same boat. At the end of the day, it, we're not judged. We are judged individually. But at the same time, we're judged as a whole. No, if, it's, it's a, if you're judged individually, all of us have our own stuff that we're not so proud of. You know, stuff that if we're looked at as individual, then we're scrutinized. But and this is the idea of al kol pishayim techas ava, that on that love covers over all sins. What does that mean? When I love myself, I say, ah, I'm not such a bad guy, right? If I see the another person doing the same thing, oh, that's mm -hmm, you know that boom, right? Because we love ourselves. But when there's love between us and there's unity, Hashem does that same thing and says, there's just love here. And he doesn't see the scrutiny. That's why davening praying with the minion is so is so powerful. What's so powerful about praying with the minion? Because the klal, when you have the, the general klal, the 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 the, the uh, what's the word? The, the 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 when it's not one person, when it's an entire Unity. congregation. Yeah, yeah. When you have the, a congregation. Mm -hmm. So all of a sudden, it's not my actions, my you know, all the individual actions. It's the 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 we're all together, and the neshamas together. The, the holiness of ten people together is is very intense. Even angels can't be there. It says. So all of a sudden, I'm not being judged as one person. I'm being judged as this beautiful cloud, beautiful united uh, union. And that's that's the idea. You know, even we see that even in times when there was some of the greatest sins going on, but the Jewish people were together. Uh -huh. We Hashem was good to us. And then sometimes even when, you know, even the children knew Torah backwards and forwards because there wasn't unity, there was destruction and there was punishment. So, yeah, that's a, a very, an, an, a, you know, imagine combining the two. I was reading a translation of one of our prayers. I don't recall what it was. I think it was in Shabbos morning. I think so. And it says over there, the translation said, you have honored us and basically did us a huge hesed by giving, endowing us with the name of Yerushun. Yishurun. Yishurun. Is that it? Yerushun or Yishurun. Yerushun, I think it was. I think the name is Yishurun, but I don't know. Okay. But what does that mean? Yeah, what does it mean? It's the unity. It's the pureness and the unity of the whole nation. When Once we get to that level of purity and love where... There's no judgment. Mm. That's what we deserve. We deserve to have that name. So that's an honor to have that name, to be called that. Yeah. 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 Wow. Spread mitzvahs. Yeah, I don't even remember where we got to. We go in. So, uh, yeah, but anyway, that was the. How did we get to that? I don't know. But uh, let's, let's go. To the next uh, <laughs> next question. The next uh, comment. In English, oh yeah, it was your brother asking the question. That's what it was. Oh yeah. <laughs> okay, so in English, it's called the coming revolution. Talking about Zamir Cohen's book, yes. Right, revolution. The revolution, the coming revolution. Correct. Um, I really need to turn this off. Keep on having these. Uh, I must have read that book inside out ten times. Oh really? Mm-hmm. Okay, um, that's a, it's a great book. Yeah, it really shows how God and science are actually 
very much in line, uh, opposed to how um, people... God has left his mark on everything in this world. Yeah. If you look hard, if you look deep enough, you'll see who's the creator. You'll see every. It's it's there. Yeah. Okay. Now here is something from the Rebbe, um, which is uh, I really I really love this. So he says that the idea of the makos of the plagues was showing how God is in charge of the world, right? Paro Mitzrayim is trying to cover over godliness, and God said, "Oh yeah, watch this," and turned entire Egypt over. Now the first sign was that of the snake turn, uh, the staff turning into a snake. Mm-hmm. That was the general sign, general sign that I, God, I'm in charge. And then the ten makos, right? That was the first time that they brought to Moshe. And then afterwards, the ten makos were more individual; those were more specific. So that means that this first sign of the snake turning into a stick meant something very big. It meant God's. God's um, uh, sovereignty over this world and its submission to Hashem. Submission to Him. So now this helps us understand why, number one, it was Aaron's staff and also why it was important for the staff to swallow the snakes and not just for it to be the snakes swallowing the staffs. Number one, what was Aaron famous for? What was he famous for? Aaron was famous for bringing people together. I thought that was his father. I, I don't know about his father, but Aaron was known as the Oyev Shalom Shalom. He loved peace and he ran after peace. Uh, there, was know, Moshe Rabbeinu's father the same? He was the leader of his time and then when he divorced his wife, everybody else followed. Sure, but I don't know if 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 if, he, if the number one characteristic he oh, was okay, known okay, by was okay. very. Aaron's was he, he loved peace. Mm-hmm. He ran after it. He went so far as to bend almost bend the truth. <laughs> he would go ahead and tell somebody, uh, two people who were fighting. He would say, "You know, your friend is really sorry," and he would go to the other person and say, "You know, your friend is really sorry," and you know whatever it is, and they would both see each other and they would embrace. Because he had brought out the love of the other person. By the way, it's one of the mitzvahs. One of the mitzvahs is is the only time you're allowed to lie is to make peace between two Jews. Yeah, I wouldn't. I wouldn't. Uh, I wouldn't. I mean, yeah, there is that idea. I don't know. If, I don't think it's a lie, but you you could bend the truth. You know, you could say that the, really because all Jews are one, therefore the neshama really loves the other neshama, and therefore it's just the external that's 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 creating the 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 conflict and the friction but anyways yes there, there definitely there are liberties when it comes to creating peace um now so so we know this about Aaron, mm-hmm. and this is in general when it comes to us and you know we all have a job of of um influencing the people around us the world around us each other, right? You have you have a, 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 an obligation to influence me to be better in whatever way you can. And I have a, a, an obligation to the same for you. We're all responsible for each other. Now, how do I do that? How, how do we take, you know, right? We're, we're in a world where... Should I answer that question? Well, sure, but one second. <laughs> um, 
<laughs> I'm just kidding. I was just being a guess. No, no, no. Yeah. I was going to say something funny. Donate, donate, donate. <laughs> okay, but go ahead. But that's... <laughs> Uh, I know. I'm sorry. But I had to. I had to do it. It's the end of the day. <laughs> um. So, what were we saying? Yeah. So basically, and this is how we're supposed to, you know, when when the the idea of making this world a better place is by sometimes you have to even sometimes you have to be. Tough, and there has to be discipline, right? Sometimes you, you you have to have tough love, right? And that's the idea of of where, um, right? Just like the staff shows, the staff turning into a snake shows how Hashem is in charge of this world, and it swallowing the other snakes, right? Shows Hashem, right? So same thing. Sometimes you have to be tough, but the thing is, you have to be like Aaron, which is number one in general. You must be loving. You have to do with Yimim Mekareves. The right hand brings closer. In other words, that, that that's how you're supposed to influence others. You can't you can't be fire and brimstone and say you are not good, right? But sometimes you still have to be strong. You have to have a backbone, right? You can't be wishy-washy with what's correct. Nevertheless, it says you can't be like a snake. You can't be with anger and venom. You have to be like a stick. But a stick is. It's just an inanimate object. And your influence on them should be where they don't feel any anger or, 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 or pain. It should be just in a way of nullification where you're so, your, your goodness is so great that it's overbearing. Yeah, it's not always the easiest to criticize people in a positive way. It's so, I don't know if it's criticism. The point is that sometimes you have to be, you have to be like your, 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 you have to do it in a nurturing way. You have not... to take over, but you have to do it in a way where it's it's where the stick itself, it, the other sticks are absorbed. Even the snakes are absorbed by iron stick. What does that mean? That they're also absorbed by the good and they also will become peaceful. So number one, you have to be, the reason why iron is, it's iron, why is it, we, we asked earlier about why is it iron stick. It's iron stick because we have to, when we take, when we, when we, when we influence the world for the better, it has to be like iron with love, and even when it has to be done, where you have to sort of take over the other person, and they have to be swallowed, so to speak, it has to be in a way of peace and without hate, right? Person could be think, oh, I'm doing it for God. How could you do that? If there's any anything which is which 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 resembles a, a, a fire of hatred, then it, it it won't. It's not the correct way. Wow. Yeah, I just want to see. Um, okay, so regarding this is a Yoni welcome. It says he would lie. He's talking about Aaron that he would lie in order to bring people together. Again, I don't believe that that's a lie. It was a white lie. Again, you could say that it wasn't representing the person's feelings at that point, but at the end of the day, they're at our core, we all love each other. But he would let's say let's say he would bend the truth, right? And so did Kairach. Now I don't know what you're saying regarding Kairach. Um, I mean, Korach, you know, fought with uh, with Moshe. I don't know where he lied. Why was only one wrong to do so? So I mean, number one, Korach, Korach's. I mean, the answer we already spoke about it, which is that for peace, you're allowed to 
say things that are not 100% representative of, of the truth in order to bring peace between people. Korach lied in order to sow seeds of hate and division. So it's, Korach didn't lie. I don't know what he's Korach saying. Korach never lied about anything. He, so, oh, he told the truth. The only His only flaw was the fact that he created a machloket when he wasn't supposed to. So I, I imagine that Yoni knows something about what Korach said that that was a lie. The, right? I mean, Yoni's a friend of mine. So I, I, he, he obviously knows something here. I don't know what it is. But um, either way, it's very different when you're bending the truth for peace. It's the exact opposite when you're bending the, you know, the truth in order to sow seeds of division and hate. Um, anyway, yeah, that's, uh, that's that. Here's, I don't know if we mentioned this last year, but I thought it was uh, very interesting. There's actually a, uh, an opinion the Malbim says that, and these are actually there are many opinions that say that the Egyptians didn't actually do magic. They just did sleight of hand. They made it look like they were doing magic, but really they weren't. And one of the opinions so says... they were illusionists. Yeah, yeah, yeah. They, they, they did illusions. And one of the things they did, it says that they actually had four or five-year-olds going into skins of dead snakes and moving in a way that made it look like they were snakes. And they okay. quickly like they quickly grabbed the sticks and you know hit it underneath them so it looked like it was. And if that's the case, then when they got engulfed, that means those kids got engulfed with them. That's that's the crazy thing. It would seem <laughs> okay. okay. Yeah, I mean, it, it's kind of sad, but I mean, okay, right, right. That, that, that's that's the you have to say that that's what happened. Um, these these kids just disappeared. You know what? I don't understand. Hmm. I think I asked this question last two weeks ago. Yeah. Like, what was modern-day slavery? I'm not trying to compare. I'm just saying slavery. When a slave has a child, that child belongs to the master, correct? Yeah. So that means now this master became one slave richer. Correct. Now, if we were slaves in Egypt, how dumb is it for Egyptians to keep our population or our numbers low? If anything, they want to be richer. You want to have more slaves. So if anything, if your slaves are multiplying, you should be happy. Not the opposite. And not trying to suppress them. And not trying to, you know, uh, uh, what's his name? Um, castrate them and not to have for them not to have kids. How stupid is that? It makes no sense. You understand where I'm coming from? It makes no sense. Especially at that time. They didn't have no technology. They didn't have robots. They didn't have... The fields were plowed and worked by by human beings, by human hands. So you need more and more people who are working. So how does it make sense for them to hate their own workers, their own slaves? I understand the whole concept of there was a war that could get onto the other side and cross us. I understand that concept. But if you're the biggest empire, the strongest empire of that time, there's no other empire that exists that could even challenge you. Why in the world? It doesn't make sense financially. Uh, strategically, doesn't make sense. Why would you lower the population of your slaves? You you understand where I'm coming from? It doesn't yeah. make sense to me. The whole thing just doesn't make sense. Um, I don't know the. I, I, what I would imagine is the the purpose of the subjugation of the Jewish people wasn't. The primary reason was not for gain. I understand they, from they, spiritual side it had to be no, no, done. No. This, this, and I'm not talking about that. I'm not, I'm not talking about spiritual. I'm talking about the fact that the main reason why this whole thing started was because the Egyptians wanted them to be 
inferior to them. They didn't want them, they were, they, they were afraid they were going to become more and they were going to, so they decided to subjugate them. Their main goal was to oppress the Jewish people. The fact that they also used them as slaves, I don't think that was their main goal. Okay, so I, uh, uh, last week's Humash, uh, 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 I was reading there, and it says that they were building the city, it's called uh, Ramses and, and Pitum, uh, Pitum. Okay. It was really Pitum. It was called Ramses as a nickname. Uh, Why? Because it was a city that kept on uh, sinking. No matter what you build, it keeps on sinking. In other words, there's really nothing you can build that is going to be permanent. It's, it's going to be gone. Right. So they were morally, they were purposely, they didn't need to build anything. They just needed them to be occupied with work. So they made them build a city that kept on sinking every day. So you have to build new every day. Mm. So your work will never finish. You will never finish building the city. So yeah. they kept them just occupied, just, just to be occupied. Yeah. Now it says, one opinion says that they did this on purpose to morally break them. Yeah. Work that never ends. Another, uh, what's his name, uh, opinion says, it, it was done to keep them occupied because we, we need to keep them enslaved somehow, the mentality-wise. But once again, we come back to the same thing. If you have such a huge labor force that is purely cheap labor, you could say almost free labor, why suppress them? Why not put them to real work? And get richer. Let your empire grow bigger and bigger and bigger. I, I don't know if it's if, if there's like one linear way things happen. I mean, there, you're talking about hundreds of years. You're talking about, um, you know, sometimes maybe they needed to work, sometimes they didn't. The point is, they didn't just use them for regular work. They took pleasure in... Torturing in, them? In, yeah, in oppressing them. It says some of the things that they would do to the Jewish people. You know, they would have people stand you know, with a candle on their head and make sure it didn't fall, you know, or else, you know, they would whatever they would make them tr uh, go and trap uh, wild animals. And if you see, actually, you know, the, the response to this was in the Makot, where, you know, because they made Jews go ahead and hunt dangerous animals, that's one of the reasons why they had dangerous animals come and do all the things. I so know, they, I know, they, I know. They, what they you're saying is... I they could have had need, I'm saying, they could have had a need for these slaves at some points, but they also made them work just because. Their cruelty just overtook them. I get it. I, which is why Hashem had to do all these cruel, cruel things to them. Because at that point, he said, look, all these things, the, the, your exile was, was, was a must for you. It had to be done. But they, sh they shouldn't have done the things that they didn't have to do. They didn't have to be so cruel to you. They didn't have to be a uh, mahader. They didn't have right. to be extra careful. <laughs> right. I know. I and you that is why Hashem got so angry with them. Because all this time he says, oh, and I heard their voice. What does that mean? He was, all this time he was deaf? No. Hashem hears all, knows all, sees all. He, right. But it became more than what it was supposed to be. It became crueler and worse and harsher than what it was intended to be, which is why Hashem said, okay, no no more. We got to get you out of there. And which is why the, he punished them for, for their cruelty. Hmm. Not for the exile that we got and not for the time that we spent there. For their cruelty the last 70 years, I believe. Right. Wow. They actually, what you said reminded me because they, they the Jews had to build what their, their quota was. Mm-hmm. 
So I, there's different, you know, Shevet Levi, the tribe of Levi didn't work because because they were learning. But I actually saw what opinion brought down that Amram had worked, but he only built one brick. So his quota was one brick a day. Right, because he was Shevet Levi. Yeah, but they, but but I'm saying I, I I was on there in general. You think that they didn't work at all, but but it actually would be a very smart. Right, 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 right. I heard about that. It would be a very smart strategy. To but you know who created that law in in Mitzrayim uh, for for Levi not to work? Who? Yosef. He taxed everybody except for the priests. That one city of priests. Was not involved in taxation. He would never touch their land. Would never touch. Yeah, but that land. was that was also the the but, priests of Azur. Right, but it was a law already. You understand? Right. Priests, all priests, regardless of which you. So Levim were considered to be uh, because uh, they say one of their opinions says that because uh, Mashiach will come out of them. One of their opinions says uh, because they, they all they did was learn and, and they were only. Serving the Beit Hamikdash, so therefore they weren't supposed. But the reality is, this law was implemented by Yosef in that land, which is why Mitzrayim had to honor it, even when uh, Jews became uh, slaves, because before that we were considered as equals, and then after uh, Yosef's death, uh, we became slaves. They enslaved us, right? Yeah. But the law stayed the same. Spiritual uh, priests. Are not allowed to work, so therefore they didn't do any work. That's very interesting. I mean, there's the idea that there was no Kohanim yet, so Levi more right. considered well, originally the Kohanim were supposed to be the firstborn, right? And also, I mean, let's say, I mean, it's interesting because I thought that the Levium, the Shavit Levi just didn't go to work because they had more important things to do, they didn't feel that they like needed what, to, like the, learning Torah. Okay, what yeah. Torah if Torah wasn't given yet? No, they still were learned. There was always Torah being studied. We know this. So, so the reason for it is because they were considered to be, they were going to be the priests. They were going to be the priests in the, in the Beit HaMikdash to come. Okay. So yes. therefore, the law states that any priest, regardless of what religion you're following. Well, that wasn't the only Torah that was learned. But, 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 okay, that's very interesting. Um, Just like in the United States. Either way, no, either way. Uh, you're you're tax-exempt if you're a religious entity. Right. When they created this law, no, I get what it. religions were there? There were only three religions. Now they have Scientology, they have a hundred different sects of Christianity, you know, but they're all considered to be exempt from, 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 from uh, taxes. Yeah, so clergymen. The idea is a clergyman, right? right? That's, yeah. yeah. Because the law is in place. Get that, get that parsonage. Yeah. <laughs> um, now, here's just a few interesting facts about the Parsha. We're almost done here. But Rabbeinu Ephraim says something really interesting that we see that Paro didn't ask Moshe to, to take away the, the plague of blood. So he says actually that when the water that was in metal didn't turn into blood. In metal. Yeah, and okay. therefore Moshe, you see that Paro, it says, number one in the Parsha, that Moshe, that, 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 Paro just turned turned away and went to his house, and he didn't, you know, put his heart to it. Um, <laughs> it says because Paro was drinking from metal metal utensils, and therefore he had water, which is interesting. You know, it's yeah, like he always had the what's his name, whatever, uh, goblet, the yeah, right, the uh, golden goblet, which is again it's something which uh, you, you know 
also in general, like how how did they have water? One of the, we answered earlier Where how they had water. water. One of the ways they had water, it says in the pasuk itself that the Egyptians dug for water, and when they dug, they found, they were from there they had water. So they had water when they dug, but they had to dig. They had to dig. You know, they had to do really hard work in order to find water. Uh, anyway. Plus, don't forget, Egyptians would buy water from, from the Jews. Yeah, you actually spoke about that last. Right. Yeah. Last... So he would pay him what he owes. Yeah, I remember. Because he's actually... dying of thirst. He's like, how much, do you, how much do you want for a gallon of water? Yeah, guys, if you go and, and uh, look at last, week, last year's thing, uh, show, actually, Ilya mentions this, where they had to put their price higher and higher. They had to bid higher and higher until it turned into water. It wasn't even their choice. They yeah. said, oh, he says, okay, I'll give you five uh, silver coins. Okay, no problem. He takes the gallon of water from him, it turns into blood. He gives it back to him. He says, okay, no good. Okay, ten gold ones. Okay, I agree. He gives it to him. Okay, not enough. Okay, keep going until it, it stays water. Yeah. And once it stays water, that means my debt is paid, which means all this time he worked for me, I didn't pay him. Now I had to pay him for all that or die of thirst. So the amount is set by heaven. Exactly. So he himself doesn't even know how much is enough. <laughs> he agrees to everything he says. He says 10, okay, no problem. 20, no problem. Oh, that's great. But in Shemaim it says no, so therefore it's still, go, it, it's still blood. Wow. And here's the last thing. This is, I found this very interesting. It says that actually the Makos... Um, Talks about it by the frogs, but I think the the the, the Medrash Rabba says that the the Tzfardea and all the plagues actually made peace between the Egyptians and their their neighbors huh. because because why because the plagues only happened in the borders of Egypt. Oh wow! Which means any dispute over borders was now Nullified. gone. Oh. Now up. Oh, See, the frogs are coming up to here. Mm -hmm. not going over there. <laughs> so, yeah, I just thought that, thought that was very funny. Um, and it, actually, it's interesting to see that, you know, how different things that happened in a Shemayim from heaven were actually able to um, make it that people, it was a sign for how to act down here. We see by the Mun, there's an example of, let's say somebody came and said, uh, you stole my my slave, right? In, in let's say in the desert, mm -hmm. somebody came to Moshe Rabbeinu or one of the judges and said, "Hey, this guy stole my slave." And the other guy says, "No, you sold him to me." So they says, "Very simple. See where the man for this person fell." That's right? who it belongs to. Right, the man would fall by the master of the slave. So wherever is an extra portion of man that fell, that's how you know who the master is. <laughs> that was awesome. You know, so that's another way of seeing how disputes, you know, could be settled by by, by divine uh, signs. And it, we also see even by Shlomo Hamelach, right? Shlomo Hamelach, a person would come, and he would say something. If he was lying, he would all of a sudden become very scared. And it's, I think it says that the animals from the mm -hmm. from the, his throne would make noise, and he would be very scared until he would have to admit the truth. Every step he would go up, there was an animal that was attached to his throne. And it was all a Kabbalistic thing. So each animal would have its own uh, talent. So one would, would uh, what's his name, would know if a person is lying. The other one would know if he has any fear. The third one would know uh, what he's thinking. 
it, it, I don't remember exactly what it was, but it was all different things, different levels. Right. Yeah. But so, I, I mean, and it's funny because the safer that I was learning. But the lowest one is a crocodile or a snake. There's different opinions which, which one it is. Also, the same thing with, with Moshe Rabbeinu. You know, there's a huge makloket about whether it was a snake or a crocodile. Yeah, yeah. Some people say that it was a tanin. Tanin just means like a sea creature, technically. Like so a lizard of some sort. Yeah, right. so you could say that it wasn't a fish. Maybe it was a... Yeah, a croc. There are opinions. I think we mentioned it last year briefly. Um, yeah. Now, anyway, so I, it was just interesting, you know. And, and, you know, you can have a question about really when it comes to halacha and... and, and and Jewish law, it's not supposed to be ordained from heaven. So it depends if, if it's talking about, you know, deriving what, you know, deriving a, a, law, a, a law based on the Torah, like if you have to go figure out what the law says or an actual fact. Meaning this person only belongs, the slave only belongs to one master. The, the boundaries are only a certain way. You know, by Shlomo HaMelech, it wasn't actually... The heaven that was determining what was true, other than the fact that the person would be so scared that he himself would admit and he wouldn't need witnesses. But whatever the case is, in general, it's is true. Torah, Torah is not in heaven; it's down here, and it's up to and, and it's up to the rabbis and, and, and you know the the human intellect. It was meant that people who obviously are are qualified rabbis who are given whatever it is, you know, that they should come up with the halacha. And it's not. Yeah, it's in a good heaven. thing you didn't finish that sentence. Because so many people go and get a smicha. It doesn't mean Not that. that kind of smicha. Yeah, I get it. Okay. But hold this for a second. <laughs> yeah, I get it. I get it. I get it. Um, got I got it. it. I got it. I got it. And, um, dude, it was recording the back of my head the whole time. No, it wasn't. I switch. What do you think I'm doing here? I'm switching. Uh, one second. Let's show Ilya that it's, uh, that it, don't worry. It wasn't the back of his head the whole time. Should I be flexing? Guys, he's single. <laughs> um, <laughs> anyway, so this is this is the show this week, guys. Um, we loved sharing this with you. Hopefully, you enjoyed this as well. Yes, thank you for joining us. Yes, please smash that like button. Uh, recommend us to your friends. Um, don't forget about that that Patreon. And uh, Yosha really has a smile on his face every time I say that. <laughs> Guys, listen. Smash, <laughs> like, share, yeah. and support if you'd like. I'll be putting a link yes. shortly. Yes. And um, No more tunnels, please. Oh, God. We will see you next week. <laughs> <laughs> With going out of our own Mitzrayim, Mashiach, now. You know what? You know what? You know what? Since we have a second, I do agree with them. At some point, um, 770 hasn't seen any renovations for the past 40 years. That's it. Hey, guys. Wait, it's, wait, it's, wait, it's, wait. I got to say, I got to get it out. 770. Yes. Expand, not, not just expand 770. The Rebbe was talking about expansion. He wasn't just talking about 770. He was talking about all of Judaism. And it's 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 bigger our better, obligation better. To, to, to inspire other Jews to do the right thing. This is the only way that Mashiach is going to come is if we are united. We need to come back to our roots and we need to grow spiritually. Amen to that, man. So Amen. that is exactly what the Rebbe meant when he said we need to expand 770. He wasn't just talking about the location. 
Yo! This is so... Oh, I can't... Yes. Ilya, you're such a chassid. It's so crazy. You're such... You, you really are. You're like... Thank you, like thank, in you your, thank you. In your neshama. Your thank you. Thank anyway, you. guys... As you Shabbos, said, you reflect... You, you reflect... You get what I'm saying. I love you, Ilya. <laughs> love you guys. Good Shabbos. Good Shabbos. Pleasure having you. Uh, we will see you next week. Yes. If, if Mashiach doesn't come. Yeah, even if he comes. If he comes, all of this will be obsolete. What do you mean? If we're going to sit and learn. Yeah. We're not going to need any of this. Okay. Maybe. Whatever the case is. Mashiach yeah. now. Amen. Good Shabbos. Good Shabbos. <laughs>